from Kalalu Studios in New York City. You are listening to Let's Take It Offline with your host, Kishana Palmer. Hey, Fab Crew. You're listening to Let's Take This Offline, the podcast for everyday leaders. Part inspiration, part set down. Let's have a conversation. Here's where you'll find the real deal about living well and leading well. I'm Kishana Palmer, your host and resident leadership whiz. What happened in the meeting after the meeting? We talk about it all on Let's Take This Offline. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and leave a comment so we can keep the conversation going. Aiko Bathia is a leader, builder, and connector. She successfully navigated leadership roles in government, philanthropic, nonprofit, and private sectors. In each sector, she created and served in inaugural roles to meet growing organizational needs. Aiko is an award-winning and highly sought-after equity consultant, executive coach, and speaker. She is founder of Rare Coaching and Consulting, a consulting practice focused on coaching leaders and organizations to remove barriers to inclusion. Her practice integrates operations, leadership coaching, and education strategies that yield measurable outcomes. Aiko is also Senior Director of the Daring Way and Dare to Lead Communities of Brene Brown Education and Research Group. She oversees development and implementation of the overall strategy for the communities, as well as a specific diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging strategy and oversight of the global 1,000 plus member facilitator community. All right, welcome, welcome everyone to another amazing episode of Let's Take This Offline, the podcast for everyday leaders. I could not be more excited to have you on today, Echo. This is like, I mean, you, I think I like stalked you on LinkedIn like four or five years ago. And I was like, hi, hey, um, you don't know me, but I would like you to come speak to me, speak with me on a panel in New Orleans. Would you come? Won't you come? And you were like, huh? tell me more about this again. What do I need to do? And that is literally like how, how we met. No, it was more like, Oh man, I love your hair and I love your pictures. And oh man, I get to do that. That's how it really was. Oh, but it was so good. And that's to me, like to this day, you know, years later, that is still one of the most talked about panels. That actually set the stage for the way the Association for Raising Professionals really started to step forward um, in having conversations about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and they included access um, as a part of the work. And they'd had a DEI com- you know, committee for a task force for years. I was on it and had made some incremental strides. But I feel like after that year, um, mm-hmm. left and right conversations popping up, work groups, action, like bigger things were happening. So I always feel very grateful to you uh, for just coming in and having that conversation. And so I was curious, like this is you have been in leadership, in coaching, executive coaching, in diversity, equity, and inclusion work for before it was cute and popular. Let's be clear. <laughs> I think we all were, right? If you were mm-hmm. in, in dark skin going in these spaces, you already were were, were doing the work because you were coping and surviving the work, whether people called it Correct. that or not. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And over the last two 18 months, I would think it has seen quite an uptick from all manner of professionals who have stepped into the space at all areas to me, all parts of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. What has been like your observation, the way this wave <laughs> of yeah. professionals have stepped forward and stepped in, how it's been received? Just in the, uh, in the broader corporate context. Cause I know you are in different, different sectors. Yeah. Um, so in the corporate context, how it's been received, I think that uh, there's a degree of relief where folks are like, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm glad somebody does. And I'm glad right. I can reach out to them and have them help me. Or I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know why it's important, but people are expecting this. So let me find some people to do it for us. So the other the aspect of getting people to do it for us, I don't know what it is. But also, I think there's this undercurrent of it's going to go away soon anyway. So let's just do this here and now. I think there are some folks who um, they're they're it really is a reawakening. It is a way for them to think about who they are as leaders, as people. I think these yes. are the people who are having conversations at home. These are people who are having conversations in their communities about it. 
And they are trying to figure out their space in this, not because of the work or the job or the role or the expectation of the job. It's because they're trying to figure out who do I want to be and have I been the person I've wanted to be all along? And if not, what does it require of me and how do I do it? So yes, equity, whatever professional person who's coming in here, maybe you can support me with this too. Absolutely. So So I feel like- Definitely a range. Definitely a range. And what about the like professionals who are who are stepping into the work? Because one of the things that I've been so curious about that I'm not sure we really talk about that much is that I'm like looking at some folks who are hanging out a shingle like since when? Right. Oh, see, I was like, I know she's trying to get me to say this. I know it. I well, saw listen, this is let's take this <laughs> offline. So we talk about the stuff that happens after the conversation. Listen, let's let's be let's let's put the cookies where we all could get to them. That's my brother. <laughs> cookies. We're not you're not gonna put them up on the shelf. They're here where we could get to right. Them. Right. So yeah, I one, there is the part about what you're saying is that some folks were already talking the talk at our own risk and detriment. Some yes. of us were let go of different jobs because we were doing the work before it was cute. Some of us were fitted promotions and other things, and we were isolated because nobody wanted to hear the truth, but it was something right. that we were already committed to in terms of our values. So you have those folks. And then you have folks also who, I mean, this, this woman was interviewing me about this and she used this word, which I had not thought about. And I said, yes, I think that's right. And she said, there's a lot of charlatans in this space. And I was like, Ooh, charlatans. charlatans. Cause you know, when you think of a charlatan, you know, that, that gives me scarlet letter vibes. That gives me like, the okay. snake oil. People, the snake people oil of it all. Snake oil. Yes. yes. And it's like they're, you know, they're reading all the great lines, telling people to do things, but things they themselves would never dare to do. That's Didn't right. Dare to do. That's um, right. So there's that part of it that certainly happens. I think there is a um, there are folks who haven't done the internal lands- landscape work for themselves as well to understand what's the difference and what's my motivation behind this. Because there's some folks who the motivation, quite frankly, is right. Dollars and cents. Some people, it's the fame and how provocative can I be? Some people. I've seen a lot of that. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that. Yes. And so the idea of understanding why are you doing this? Because it's going to impact. It's going to have an impact on what you accomplish and also the people who are in the rooms with you. Now, a lot of the work I do is I'm in the room with just other people of color because that's who I center in my work. When I am working with organizations or leadership teams, a lot of C-suite teams or what have you, they are mostly white, but I'm really clear from the beginning. This is a perspective that I'm centering. I don't know any other way to do it. I'm not ever going to be doing this work to convince you it's important. But in a, so if that's what you're looking for, that's that's not me. That's, I'm not, I'm not, that's gonna, not the right part. Right. Mm-mm. Right. And if you want somebody to um, just do something that's a segregated body of work of DEI, I'm not that person either. But if you want to understand how to have a better organization and workplace and you want to have, be a leader who's actually embracing what it means to be a leader. And I never say inclusive leader, because to me, if you're going to be a leader and you're a good leader, you are naturally already inclusive. Yes, you should already the concrete. Because what kind of, are you really a leader if you're exclusive? I mean, you are sexist and you are racist and you are. So when people tell me, oh, my leader, they're just not ready to talk about equity. They're not ready for that. I'm like, well, are they ready to be leaders? Are they ready to be a leader? Right. Like that's actually the question we're asking. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do think that there is um, definitely folks who are ill-equipped. I think, you know, my training is as an attorney. So there's this other part where when I hear folks giving, uh, doing, I've got the air quotes of DEI work, I wonder if they understand the context of how they're advising people and what they're saying and what all the implications can be because there's a lack of awareness and that that's fine because everybody doesn't have to have a law degree, but the people who hire them need to understand what lane this person sits in and what are, you know, the expectations of even the people who are listening and taking the advice. Yes. And I think that's so important. Like that it's so interesting. I've seen this, what's starting to emerge to me is sort of camps a little bit. And what I mean by that is that there are folks who like align on philosophy around how to enter into and action the work. And mm-hmm. so it's becoming really like crystal clear to me that there are some folks that are like, this is the hot girl thing to do. So let me just get on it. 
And so you see a lot of controversy around content and you see a lot of flair and a lot of dash. It doesn't mean you can't have that, but it, but it always makes me curious. My mom used to always say, if you're the always, if always the one dancing in the front, how people know you have substance <laughs> in the back, right? You're just dancing, you're dancing, you're flashing. Like what is the substance and are you doing yes. more harm long-term that's for right. emerging professionals, for folks who are stepping into their mid-career, for folks who are like really like looking at and, uh, and trying to get on that track to be in those positions of leadership. Because you can be a leader at all levels of your organization, right? but that are actually tracking in these environments that are needing to shift some more reluctantly than others. Some not at all. Hello, Kellogg last week <laughs> being like, I see you and I raised you 1400. What? I was like, yep, what happened? Gonna, what's going on? What's going on? We just going to fail all the way around. Like there was no meaning. No one, no one, there, there no were one meetings, showed up. I guarantee. Yeah, no, no one, one showed up. Nobody right. showed up. They were like, oh, there was a Zoom call at four. We didn't know. I mean, like it just, so if you are trying to track in your professional career and you have consultants or thought leaders or practitioners who are coming in who are not equipped to help you dig up that foundation because to that's your right. point inclusivity right. if you're looking at it as a house is not the drapes that's right that's right that's right i agree i i can't do anything but agree with you on that um and i i do think that a lot of folks who you know if you're a male and there's a woman who's the equity person coming in if you're white and the person who's coming in as a person of color there's a lot of fear of asking the why and the questions, because if you're not clear on it, you need to be clear, right? As the person who's mm -hmm. listening as a participant, but oftentimes there's a fear to ask more questions, which is a degree of accountability for whoever's doing the, the talking or the teaching, right? That's right. But you don't want to ask the questions. You don't want to be that person in the room, but how are you going to walk away with knowing, with knowledge and learning if you can't ask those questions in the room, but we don't want to, because I don't want it to seem like I'm the sexist person. I don't want it to seem like I'm the racist person, but that person should be equipped to be able to respond to you in such a way where there's knowledge in the room. Even if they say, you know what, that's a good question. I actually don't know the answer to that. That's right. Tell, that's you know, been such but, a powerful gift. Yep. But many people don't. And it's like, I'm the knower you're showing up as, you know, apparently this DI expert and you're the knower. You've got all the answers. All the and, answers. Yeah. And if I, you know, if I don't know it, how dare you ask me? Or, and so I, I always wonder about that. It's like, yeah, I don't believe anybody should ever diminish somebody um, about what their lived experience is. But who are we if we're in, in front of the room sending the invoice to not be in the situation to be responsive? Exactly. And yeah. the thing that I think has been most curious for me that I've been really trying to wrestle with is how respectability and authenticity, respectability, politics, performative authenticity. Ooh, we're going to talk about that because I know authenticity is your jam. But performative authenticity, performative vulnerability and how respectability politics has started to create this cocktail at work where folks actually can't ask questions or don't feel confident asking them pushing back. And what I mean by that is so working with a client a little while back where we realized that their middle management were like, the ones who are like kicking up all the dust. I feel like that's an affront. I feel like that's white normative behavior. I feel like, and as I was listening into some of the challenges that they were discussing, I kept having the feeling like, no, that's not. Like you weaponizing, you're, you are literally weaponizing something that is actually quite structural, nuanced, deep seated. And you pulling off the, the top sprinkles and calling it cake. And so what I'm seeing out in social media, particularly, because you know, there's a lot of social media therapy. You laughing at me, I go, <laughs> why are you yes. laughing at me? No, because you're right. You're right. You, got, you always got that metaphor in your back pocket, but yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. you know, you see all the memes and stuff on social media or people, you know, writing about, or, you know, um, thinkers that are coming into the space, et cetera, writing. And I walk away from some of the, the, the pieces that I'm reading or going like, what? Where did you get this information? Wait, this is not quite right. Wait, hold on. This is not quite correct. This is so folks are now to me, not only is are some of the issues of the day already divisive 
inherently, right? Because we have to do some corrective action, some relearning, some undoing, but also with another trend of the written word or videos, et cetera, that basically say like anything you say, we're going to pick it apart because it feels like it is knocking at who I am in my authentic self. To me, it's creating this atmosphere where folks can't talk about it or don't want to talk about it. And it's going in the opposite direction of what the work has always intended. So I'm wondering, like, have you seen any of that out? Because you, I know that you read all of the blogs and the podcasts. And the, so what are you seeing in that realm? Because it could be in my slice of the internet. I just want you to know, you know, there's no. different slices of the internet. <laughs> no, no, I do think what I was uh, pausing to consider is, you know, what the work was always intended to be. So I think that if we're honest, we have to also say there's never been a clear intention of what the work's supposed to be in terms of us all being on the same pages, right? So if you think about... Um, just when we, when the idea about diversity started coming into the corporate space, which is really about um, discrimination in the workplace. It was about racial discrimination. It was about, you know, that exclusion in that way, which race was always a part of the conversation too. But I don't know if even those laws were ever aimed at equity versus diversity, right? It wasn't about um, systemic and historic wrongs in the sense that we're going to correct that versus we're going to create equality where everybody's going to have the same, you know, procedural chance and opportunity. Cause there wasn't a lot of work about mindset shift or anything. There was more like procedural transactional stuff. So I don't think that there was, there's ever been a shared intention about what the work is supposed to be. Okay. So, um, and I think it's still a disconnect, which is why you have people doing this kind of transactional work of counting people like widgets and saying, we're doing diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion work because we have this many gay people, this many black people or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there's this other part about equity and equity can mean and feel like different things for people. If you're talking about historic and systemic biases and for some people, um, it may look like you've been treating me this way all the time. And now I'm going to treat you like this. And I get to say where I want to say where I want to say it. So there's a lot of things where I don't think it's even. And that's why I think that the expectations around whenever you have an entry point around any of these conversations to be clear about what is the desired impact or outcome that you're trying to have? Because I don't think that there's a shared intention all around um, for the work period, which is why it's even almost like a client by client basis, I have to understand what drew them to the work and what would be different if they were excelling at diversity, equity, inclusion. If you felt like you were getting this right, once upon a time later in the future, you're saying you're getting this right, what's going to be different and what does success look like? Now that helps me to align with, oh, this is what it means to you. It means having more black people there. Oh, this is what it means. Yeah. Be able to voice what they really you know, what they really think about certain things or being able to share impacts on themselves without a fear of punishment. Mm-hmm. Oh, this, so now that's what I have to ask in order for me to understand what, what do they mean and why are they doing this work so that I can get some alignment around that. So what Absolutely. that means is that you have people who are doing this work in diversity, equity, inclusion, and what success looks like to them may look really different than everybody else, which is why when you're reading that meme or that post, you're like, wait a minute, what are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about when I'm thinking about it. That's right? not what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. And they're coming from a different place. And I'm like, well, that's that level setting that's always happening. Right. We all go mm-hmm. in to buy a pair of jeans and we all have a different idea of what the fit should look like. Ooh, and for some people, they like, this true. fit is it. This is everything. And I'm like, ooh, I know Ooh, I can't girl. go out like that, right? That's it. That, so, I'm not gonna leave my house like that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But there's still jeans and it's still within the same realm, but we're not yes. all traveling in the same place, right? So that yes. those nuances are really important because the topics themselves are complicated um, in terms of our own lived experiences as individuals, right? It's so complicated, particularly because, and you know, I named that performative authenticity. The reason I brought that up is because one of the things that I came into keen understanding about the last time I was like a full time employee before I started my company was that we have gotten rewarded. Many of us have gotten rewarded our whole life for performing. Think about our even our children. Right. Like so one of the things that Sanai when she was a when the queen agent, when she was um, 
a kid used to grit her teeth that I wouldn't let her go to the end of year award that they had for the soccer team. First of all, the soccer team was trash. Okay. I just want to let you know they ain't win no games. Okay. And I was like, for mediocrity? And I said, I remember saying to the coach, this is obnoxious, okay? But I did say it, okay. I was a young mother, y'all have to excuse me. I, I was like, listen, first of all, the banquet should be at a bar and it should be for the parents because we paid for this mess all year. You should be thanking us that we came to every game in practice because this is trash money for the nine nine and two. Are you wrong? <laughs> And so Sanaa was not allowed to go. Call me when the baby wins something. Then we can go. Ooh. Now that I might have been right. I know, I know. Don't say I'm just saying I'm, you know, I was saying I'm solo mama. I ain't really have a lot of time. I was trying to get out of things. Yes, yes, you know? yes. So many things on my calendar. I go there's so many things. But you be truthful. You be truthful, right? This is yes. So this idea of performing, I remember as a kid and, you know, I'm a little black girl in a New York City public school system and they would track you to the talented and gifted in the 80s in those days. And once you get tracked, wherever you get tracked, if you get tracked to special ed, if you get tracked to whatever you go, you are on that conveyor belt forever and you get rewarded with Arista, with Honor Society, with trips, with the extra pretzels when you're in fourth grade, um, with the, with the, the gunning for the scholarships, with the being the first two, with the being the president of the Black Student Union. Y'all, listen, you get rewarded for performing. And so when you get into the workplace, what you got to switch? You got to you got to get comfortable. In the you know you got to tell you got to tell us everything. No, because so, so, no, because what you're saying, like performative, also it smacks of all the other things. Like we're saying performative, but it's really a lot of it is assimilation. And one of the things mm-hmm. that's really scary is later when we see ourselves as adults, and people don't even remember what their first voice is. They're so used to assimilating and code switching because there's an incentive and there's. Award rewards for that, like you just now laid out. And then it's the idea of something's not right here, but I don't know what, because they don't even remember what their first voice is. And there's Ooh. nothing like coaching somebody who is a 40 something year old, highly successful, well degreed person and finding out that them saying, I feel like I've been neutered. What you say to somebody who's that age at this point and has every credential and is supposed to be at the top of their game and highly rewarded, commended and high compensation? Because I can't help you once we start talking, when you we go back and you realize that you stayed quiet in those rooms when things were happening and you were the one who should have spoken, who was empowered to speak up because none of the rest of us was in the room. When you were complacent and complicit Mm -hmm. and saying things that you knew were wrong, but you were, you know, it's the fear of now I got to show people that I'm really black or now I'm going to have to shatter all that I earned because I was the quiet assimilationist. And I can't help you with that. You have that regret. You're going to have to live with that regret. And now you need to think intentionally about who you're going to be moving forward. Moving forward. So when we're actually rewarding our kids and other folks of being less black, talking this way and you can't talk that way wearing your hair this way and not wearing your hair that way we got an issue we have people who forget who they even are and what's possible for them in their own skin and bodies and at the same time i'm not just talking about people of color you're rewarding white kids for not having consideration of who else is in the room what are the other ways of being what are the other possibilities because as soon as they if they name something or speak truth to power themselves. Oh, wait a minute. You're a what? You know, we've heard all these words, all these we've things. Heard all the words. And it's punitive for them to disrupt the cycle. So now what I love is that people have all these other venues to understand possibilities of how to be and who to be. And we, a lot of us our age and older, we are now either going to be complicit or we're going to disrupt so that we That's can create right. a new way for people to be who they, the, none of the performativeness crap None of the assimilation is you can be successful in the skin that you're in and in the way that you talk and what you're doing, but you need to be intentional. There's still times when folks are like, you know, oh, you're a sellout. If you code switch, that person did this and that. And I said, you know what? There's a difference between assimilation and code switching. So Correct. assimilation is almost, you don't even know you're doing it. It became At all. It's like a second are. nature to you. It, it is who you are. You're like, what? I did what? Right, right. Right. And you may even be looking at people within your same cohorts and dem- demographics as the other. How dare they? But How then dare when you're you? coaching, there's in, yeah, there's this idea, this intentionality. So one of the examples, I'm like, OK, you're trying to go and 
get rent an apartment or something somewhere. You know who these owners are. They're asking you all of these questions. And then are you going to show up as in a way that might be most comfortable in your skin? Are you like, you know what? I need to get this lease I need to get this and I'm about to do what I need okay. to do because my kids need to be in the school district and I'm going to do what I need to do in this moment in time. And I'm not mad at you. That is your no, surviving and coping skill. Exactly. Intentional and deliberate about why I'm doing this and what's the cost. What's the cost I'm paying right now? Yes. That, that's so important to know the difference. And but what you're saying, this performative aspect is scary when it is, you know, when you're assimilating, you don't realize you're doing or you're performing because you don't think you're good enough. You don't think Ooh, you're worthy. That's that sometimes part. people, sometimes people code switch intentionally, but it's because they don't think they can show up as their full selves and they're not worthy. And that's something that's really scary and damaging as well. So we need to understand and that's why been reinforced. That, and that why question, I think, is one that when you get on that hamster wheel of busy and you're just doing, 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 doing. I, I know that I'm doing the most when I have folks say things to me like, I know you're busy, but you're so busy, but so much so that I've had to say to folks, I'm actually not busy. My schedule's full, but I'm not busy. Like, to, like I have right. to literally reset that in my own brain. Like, Kashana, you don't have to do all those things because I realized that a lot of the things I was doing was because I wanted to make sure that I stayed relevant. And I, yeah. and there's stages to that, right? Because so when I was uh, in my chief development officer position, which I had for my home was my whole career, everything was about keeping that spot. Because I got that spot early, right? In my early twenties, people were like, how does she get to you to skip seven steps? I did. But once I was there, then it felt like a fight to the death to keep it. So I take on jobs that the money wasn't right. And I take on jobs that is actually three jobs in one. And I would take on jobs where there was no pipeline. And I know that is not the conditions in which I can raise money well. Or I take on jobs with micromanagers where the founder is completely and totally banana boats. And then every time I would leave that job, they would split my job in two or three. Yeah. Pay the people the same thing they were paying me times three. So all of a sudden now we have resource and we have, and and it makes sense. And they would never replace me with somebody else who was black. So, so you named a couple of things. One is that perfectionism and that toxic productivity, Mm -hmm. right? Because, and why do we do it? We do it because we want to feel worthy. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel like, oh, people like us too, right? And we don't want to be a failure. And I think for a lot of us, when we're in these other spaces, there's also the weight of what you just named. Man, if I don't get this right, they're never going to hire another black person, another woman, another whatever. Like, like we're always carrying the whole the community and society on our shoulders. What our truth of the matter is, is that they going to do it or they not. If my performance alone is going to impact whether or not they need to hire another black person, I really hope they don't. Because they see us as a monolith and it's the same. Because you never hear yeah. somebody say this white person didn't do well, so I'm not going to hire more white people. So never. I'm not going to carry yeah, that no with me. Because you're going to do what you're going to do anyway. And I'm not carrying your ignorance on my shoulders, right? So, and this, But that toxic product, um, productivity and that perfectionism Ooh. are things we have got to move away from. Because it is How? the food for the inner critic, right? Because Kashana, you're not worth nothing because you got this whole to-do list and you didn't get through the whole thing. So now because you didn't get hit on that productivity, you're worth nothing. Who are you? You lazy. Hey, can't rest at all because I didn't earn rest. I didn't get to do that. I didn't do these things. When I finish all these things, then I'm going to get to rest. Whoever said Mm. we had to earn the right to rest, right? perfectionism man Ooh. can't even accept a compliment right because somebody said you did can't such a great even. job Kashana. you knocked that out and it's like yeah but and i had a word misspelled and then i did this and i did that what so that perfectionism and that toxic productivity will kill us it will kill us and we'll have it is food for the inner critic to allow us to know that we're never going to be good enough till we kill ourselves to death and I think that, oh, the reason I'm holding on that so powerful is because one of the things I, I remember hearing and then saying, and so now it has become a part of it, is that your feelings may not be fact, but your body is telling every truth. <laughs> yes, yes. Because your body will stop, right? It will yeah. stop. And, and you know mine enough. has stopped. Your body will be like, you know what you want to do? You know what you want to do? Sit down. See? Like, that. that's it. We... And you're lucky to have a chance to be able to get back up because everybody doesn't have it. 
everybody so said, and one of um the things I was just writing about was this idea of, you know, us being generous enough for, to ourselves to understand that we have a right to set and hold boundaries. Yes. Because many of us don't. And why, tell me the main reason, Kashana, when you think about it, that you don't say no to something. Something you know you ain't got no damn business doing, but you don't say no to it. Why? There's two reasons. One, because I always think to myself, well, if I ever need something, I would really hope that they would twist themselves into a pretzel for me. That's one. And then the second thing is, oh my gosh, will they not like me? Am I not going to get invited to? And I just named yes. all the things. The baby yes. blessing, the wedding that didn't happen, the man <laughs> they don't have, the woman they don't have, the the, the trip to Napa, the brunch. The, I just start yes. naming things. And yes. then it goes so fast in my brain that, and so that I say yes. So no, it's that, that well. goes back to exactly what you said. The fear of being excluded, not yes. belonging, not feeling valued. So we say Absolutely. yes. But God, do I need to, if I need to say yes to this person for something I know I ain't got no business doing, and that's the only way they're going to value me, is this the person I even need to be around? Or am I putting that expectation on them that they know that that'd be fine if I say no? And I'm creating that structure, right? And then what yep. was the first thing you said? The first reason was because if you need something later and they, you would want them to go and bend over backwards yes. the same way. And then the other idea, wow, how little grace and self-compassion do we have that we'd even want anybody to bend themselves backwards to do that for us. We're perpetuating it because I'm going to kill myself. I want you to kill yourself versus right. actually being able to be in a space of this is what's okay and this isn't. I'm not able to do that right now, but I wonder if X could possibly help you. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to have the capacity to do that and keep it moving. But we add keep all these other layers oh, to it. Uh, yeah. Killing ourselves. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back in a few. We have all been there. Losing a team member is like throwing money in the trash and putting it outside for pickup. In fact, according to my most recent deep dive on these internet streets, according to the research, you can lose up to $200,000 in revenue and a lot of time when you don't make a great hire and your team members, well, they leave. So how do you find amazing talent and create the conditions for them to stick. If you've ever had a hard time hanging on to your team, you're looking for new strategies to help your team grow, or you're ready to level up as a manager and leader, then I have something for you. Sticky Teams, a private podcast just for everyday leaders, people managers, business owners, and folks who are looking to do talent management right so that you can recruit, retain, and develop great employees. I'm going to help you keep them engaged and make sure all of this aligns with the strategy and goals of your organization. The days of hiring and firing, of finding them and losing them are gone. Dig on in to Sticky Teams over at kashanaco.com. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and leave a comment so we can keep the conversation going. Now, let's head back to Let's Take This Offline. And I think one of the things that I, I've discovered in being able to align myself with you know, um, wonderful people like you and with coaches who are in this sort of transform in the transformation work and in really moving the needle is that I think folks think that we don't have any of the struggles that we are coaching and teaching and practicing. And in fact, at least for me, part of the reason why I've been able to get so good in fo helping folks to focus and helping folks to make it to the next day into narrowing is because it is the area from which I am constantly being tested. And I think the other day I wrote on, wrote on Facebook, I was like, so sometimes I feel like saying to God, hello, I would like to speak to a manager. I would like to speak to a manager. <laughs> I want to understand when is the test going to end? I just, when is it going to be over? Hello. So I wonder if you have that same Never experience. Ends. 
Said never ending, never ending. <laughs> well, one of the things you know I struggle with, and I was just talking to a client about this too, um, about them, not about me. But I was like, dang, this is my thing again is a scarcity mindset, and it's because I grew up poor, and so that's a lot of the driver behind why oftentimes I'll say yes to different opportunities because it's more of if we don't have, if we don't have. So this idea of a scarcity mindset. So I have to tell my team. When I'm doing too much, remind me, because underneath it often is this scarcity mindset I have. And I just need you to remind me that we can say no to that and to this. I mean, I've gotten so much better about it now, but it is something where it ends up me saying yes more. It's also an idea of it just shows up in so many crazy ways, right? Of thinking like one of the things you said, hey, if I don't do this, they're not going to invite me back. Like these Ooh. other things, and some places where I don't want to be invited back, and I'm still doing. I, I had like, to think about that. Back, right? <laughs> like I don't actually want to come. Yes. And I'm sitting here and so, trying to like max out because, and I'm so that idea of giving myself permission to say no, and to say enough is enough, and understanding, and the way I do that, it's not just saying you know giving myself permission to, but also reminding myself, okay, why are you doing this? Why is this important? Because otherwise, everything's a yes, right? I have to be really intentional. Yeah. And at what cost? If I say yes to this, at what cost? What cost? Most of the times we think about what's the cost if we say no. But then saying, at what cost if I say yes, what does that mean? That means I can't do these other things that are really important to me. Because I'm fooling around with this thing that I'm saying yes to. So sometimes it's the idea of you say yes, what, at what cost is this, is this yes really going to cost me? Right? I think that's so powerful because as I have been thinking about... Um, authenticity and just reading lots of the stuff that you've written and just being knowing you in real life and talking to you. Like I realized that I didn't actually know who I was at all. And I had been a masterpiece of a lot of people, even in my business until like two years ago, my business was a result. First of all, I created it in full because I was like, I ain't going back to work for nobody else. So my back is against the wall. I got a kid to feed. We got this mortgage to pay. I'm, I'm out here. And so I just applied the same level of hustle I had as a fundraiser to being able to build a business. But I didn't stop to think about like, but why? What problem am I actually trying to solve? And am I the best person to be able to do that? And is that going to bring me joy along the way, even when it's hard? Okay, can we just stop time right there? What you just said. So yes. that part of what you just said, that part is is the mantra. It is the the piece, the resistance that they say. <laughs> what is the what is the joy in it? What is the joy in it? And I find oh, yeah. that for us to ask that question is so powerful because first of all, it starts with the premise of we deserve joy. For us to even ask that. And to even ask the question. Yes. Yes. And, and, and it also instills a belief that joy even exists because most of us have moved away from that. It's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just hustling, trying to like keep the lights on or feel worthy or feel like I can do it or disprove all the stereotypes or all of even family of origin stories or whatever. But we just yeah. out here because this is what out we're here. supposed to be doing. But the idea of what you just said, like, is it going to bring me joy? Where's the joy in it? It just it, it shifts everything it's just what you say everything. yes to it's just what you say no to you end up saying yes to them kids and you start saying no to a lot of these big checks but yep. that joy part is so important the part. way that i i coach the way that i do things the way that i say no to things not just what i say no to but the way that i do it it has to do with the end of the day of the joy in it and that we enjoy we deserve joy and that's what a lot of my shift is to is now. Yep. So I love that you just said that. You said, what's the yeah. joy in it? That's it. Yep. What's the joy in it? And that question was a question that I didn't ask myself because to back to you, story of origin, scarcity mindset. It took years for my parents to stop asking me when I was going to get a job. Why you like, been out I here like, I'm working 80 hours a week. What? Yes. And, and yes. I was like, I, I have a payroll. That I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like, yes. this is a real, like a real question, like yes. uh, every week question. Oh, yes. you have another, another speaking gig? Okay. You have any jobs coming? <laughs> every week. I mean, like it was like a, 
it almost looked like a family joke, right? Yes. But I, I felt like the joke was on me and they didn't realize, honestly, that it was just feeding my insecurity and feeding. Yes. So even when I first started doing coaching, fundraising coaching initially, I didn't realize like, yo, I should really be doing leadership coach. I can still do fun. I can coach people in my sleep for fundraising like that. How much money you need to raise? Come talk to me. Um, but I, re- I realized it was something greater. It wasn't until I took a step back. I had lost a client and we don't talk about that. The client was like, this is my early days. I sent the love letter to every client I had in my first three, three years and email. Here's an evaluation. Please let me do another session with you for free. I would love your honest feedback. I am looking to grow just about everybody. Wait, did you say for free? Just one session because I was switching. Oh, okay. I did. I, I was at the free portion of the program. I don't do free no more. I would have been like reduced, but I, at least. But I was looking right. to like have a copa, you know, if it will. And they all gave me good feedback. But I remember the last before I made a real shift in my business, the last client that was like, "Yeah, man, you cool. We love you, Kashawn. We do." But this, and I realized it's because I was doing the wrong work. And then I was like, "Well, how did I get to this work?" It was because I had gone to like a coaching session or something or somebody, you know, I was paying for the, this is when the online entrepreneurship thing was, was the wild, wild west um, mm-hmm. in its early days to me. And somebody told me that I should be doing X and I didn't know what I should be doing. And so I said, okay. And so when I pulled up, 2018 was a hard year. My ceiling fell in. I, okay, listen, Michael, the ceiling fell in in this office. All my professional career was gone. Why? Because that week I had, uh, backed up all of my computers and files. So my backup discs, the external drives were on my desk. Went into the city for a client meeting. My daughter calls me and says, mommy, it's raining in your office. She had just got home from school. I want you to know I died 37,000 deaths. I literally still have not recovered a third of my career. It doesn't matter. It's gone to the wind. I'm doing this stuff yes. remember now. And yes. so at that, that was my point. Then it gave me the opportunity to go, what do I actually want to do? Because everything I knew, every template, everything I created, all my work digitally, if it wasn't in the cloud of Google's and it was on that drive, it's gone. <laughs> Can you imagine if you, you woke up one day and your two thirds of your professional body of work and it, it, it had disappeared on you? It disappeared you. Yes, yes, yes. We said to the like, cloud of Google's down. up there. Yes, it's out there. Yes. Um, and that was just a, it, it was clearly probably just a gift to you because now yeah. you had to limit and say no to some stuff. And like you said, what do I really want to do? What I really want to do. And that's when yeah. I realized that I was not really stepping into who I was because it was still the performative aspect of show. And mm-hmm. so it took me some time to really learn, like, what does it mean to really be me? What does it mean to mm-hmm. be me when no one's looking? And to be excited about that, because some of yes. us don't like ourselves. We are really not excited about our own company. Or who we are as people. I mean, that internal landscape work is no joke. So that idea of I'm going to go out here and just learn how to be a leader, whatever. But the whole time I haven't done my own work. You know, so you wonder why, like, you're hating on your own team members as they're doing better. You don't want them to go apply for that other job because they got to stay with you on your team. Oh, you're not going to, you know, you're making people work these hours. I went through it. You need to go through it. Who do they think they are? You got some internal landscape work that you need to do that you need. If you can't show up in generosity and also holding yourself accountable, let's think about the internal landscape because that'll kill you. That'll kill you. If you don't, yeah, yeah. If you so don't how, diagnose how that, you don't kill it. And how do, how do you find folks, how do you find that folks like reach for that authenticity? Because I think that there are a lot of folks who might, they're going to be listening to this or watching this and be like, virtual, you didn't have to convict me today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean you were talking about today. this. Yeah. But we're talking about this because we've been walking through it and I don't think it's ever over. And I think a lot of the reckoning has to do with a lot of stuff. Like what's, what is it that your parents are saying to you every day? What is it that the people around you expect of you that you're still giving to them in a performance manner? All these things about understanding, you know, who do you want to be for you? And, you know, we have these workshops. We do a lot of workshops that are only for people of color, Um, though they're always a critical mass of people of color. Maybe two folks who are white or something, other 20 people are people of color. And part of that is creating that space of one validation affirmation. It's oftentimes when people get professional development, they find they they're in the room with somebody who's delivering, who doesn't look like them and doesn't understand. So they're yep. perpetuating all the things that help with assimilation, to your point earlier. Right. Or they're in a room with people who are never going to validate the experience that they have singularly that's actually in a system. 
But when you're in there and it's all these other people nodding when you're talking about what you went through and what's happening now, it gives you the space to actually grieve some of those experiences instead of holding them tight, denying tight. them or having rage over them. And you know Ooh, what it does? That um, yeah. And we don't even know it. We're just, we're just mad for no reason. Just come showing up mad because we don't know what that anger is from because there's no space to for anybody to hold it. But when you're in a room with all those other people, color professionals, they're like, yes, they're doing exactly what you're doing. They're nodding. Yes, man. And then they're thinking, I thought I was the only one. Oh, man, I'm so glad you said that, girl. And then it gets real crazy when everybody in there is crying and feeling the pain of their own things. That was, and grieving. Yeah. And, but we yes. have a place to be able to hold that. That's that's leadership work right there, because you cannot that be is. a leader without that internal landscape work. And guess what's happening with those four people who are in there who are white? They now are in a situation where they have to believe. Because when it's only one person telling you, you like, is that the truth? What? They making that right. up. That person wasn't really racist. But when they got 20 other faces on there saying, yeah, and me, and this happened to me, and then this is what happened to me, they have to, the first thing challenge is you have to believe. You know what that means? If they have to believe that this is all the experience of all these people of color? They need yeah. to be able to see themselves as the villain in somebody else's story. In somebody else's story. And they can't have never had to do that. We know by default, totally undeserving because of the body and the skin we're in. We're already yes. the villain, villain of everybody's story. My, my boys are going to be the villain of somebody else's story because they're in this black skin. That They've never done anything, never deserved it. Even historically, systemically, they have not ever been the ones to hold the power. But when you are in there, as one of one of four white people in a room of 20 people, you got to now believe and be like, holy cow, people like me out here who's really doing this. And wait a minute. Am I one of the people doing it? Too? Am I one of the people? Wait, you look around like, oh, shit, it's me. Right. But it is. That's when their emotional intelligence gets elevated because now mm-hmm. you can't go high, deny or go to default systems. Now you have to question them because can all 20 of these people be lying? They all have a story. Holy shit. And then Holy you make a decision. I'm not going to be the person who does this to other people or who perpetuates this. So what does this mean for me and what I need to do differently? And guess what? A leader couldn't have paid a million dollars to get that degree of elevated emotional intelligence. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And when it hits you, yeah. it's like you being dipped in the water for folks who believe yes. that. Listen, like you right. got dipped and you popped up like, wait a minute. Right. right. Okay. But and everybody leaves with the answer of, with the question of, now what you going to do? What you going to do? One of the people who had to, who had to deal with this and you thought you were alone and you realize how unjust this is. And now we start talking about what are the, okay, so now what are the options and what's the cost and why are you doing this? And what's the cost mm-hmm. to your first voice? And for the other folks who might be in there who are white, what are you going to do? What are you going to do differently now that you know? And when you're quiet, somebody else is paying the price. Who do you want to be? So everybody's answering the same question, but from different ends of it and vantage points. Ooh, right. It's powerful work. And it's not simple work, but I feel like the the it it's also not climbing Mount Everest. And folks it's treat not. doing that work like you on a journey though, let's be clear. Do you <laughs> you're not walking in the flatlands either? You still right. still right. Okay. Right. But it is work that allows us to be able to really change the landscape and give space for folks to show up at work in their communities as their authentic self. And one of the things that I have wondered about authenticity and just how that is, is that I always imagine it to be like a kaleidoscope. Like you just keep clicking because you don't have to be different, but people don't, everybody don't get to get every click of your kaleidoscope. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They can get this one shade and this one turn, but you may not be able to get all 27 turns. Mm-hmm. And that for me mm-hmm. has allowed me to be able to feel free to your earlier point about if I need to go get this new apartment and there's an opportunity, and I know that there's a way in which that I'm be able to get this without stress, click, click on my kaleidoscope because I've been studying you for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's also yeah. called being strategic, right? You're being strategic. Yes. You understand why yes. you're doing something. You're being intentional and deliberate about how you get it and what it means. Yes, that's that's what that is. But this but like you said, the other part about people becoming something, somebody different by default, they don't even know who they are anymore. So, yeah, it's and they wake up like it's a difference. So one of the things that I wonder about um, is about our young people. 
So you know we have we have the youngsters. And we these cheering. young people, we cheering. these Karens, they they are unbothered by us folks and yes. our desire to be to learn ourselves and be new. They are showing up in the world just as themselves. Like, hello, they have popped out. Mm-hmm. So what are we learning from our children <laughs> about? Oh, you flipped that on me. About, you flipped yeah, that on about me. Them. What are we learning from them? Because I mean, I, I give you stories about the Queenager and how the things that she does and says, and I'd be like, oh, 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 like yesterday, this, yesterday, last night, she said to me, mommy, I'm really not under, you're yelling and I'm not understanding what's making you so angry. What's wrong? And then we yell louder. <laughs> First of all, you're not going to convict me in this kitchen. And I was like, well, you know what, Sanai? I am not sure what's wrong. So I'm just going to go to my room. <laughs> Why do I put myself on time now? <laughs> but that's good. At least you said, I'm, I'm not sure what's wrong. Some of us will make up stuff. You know what's wrong? <laughs> that what you going to do about it. What you going to do about it? So what are I we think, learning yeah. from our kids? I think, you you know, I I have two boys. I got two black boys who are ages 12 and 13. Um, I know you think one is reminding me about um, the cost sometimes and the price of living in this world with a really big heart. Because I have one who is just has such a depth of emotional intelligence and also just really, really deep compassion. And for me, it scares me. Because I think about the possibilities of, oh, my God, he's just wide open all the time. But then I think to myself, well, what does that mean? Does it mean that I teach him to be hard and to be these other things that I know have this armor on all the time? But it's it's the fear of me wanting him to survive where I feel like, oh, my gosh, he's got it. And so I try to weigh like what's the intentionality and like him just his awareness versus like the joy that he could have. And it's the same thing, you know, who, who talked to their kids about George Floyd, who talked to their kids about Maud Arbery, because there's so much pain and grief in that and how they see themselves. And do we want to steal that, but we want them to survive. So survive. for me, a lot of it is about, do I start teaching them all of these um, ways of being or just the risks of the issues of other people in the world? And that's where I positioned it. This is risk, risk of other people in the world. It's not your issue, yeah. but it can impact you. You're beautiful the way that you are, but I want you to know these are these are the risk of just how this world is. But you're beautiful Mm -hmm. the way that you are. And these people have an issue because I don't even want to say sometimes people say, oh, because you're black, because you're uh uh, it's because these people in the world have an issue. Mm -hmm. There's no problem with your blackness. There's no problem with the fact that you're 13 and 6'4". It's an issue about what this world and there's so many other issues in this world, too. This is just some of them that may impact you. But let's decide what makes you feel good and who you want to be. And let's lean into that. Because what's the point that. of him living if I'm leaving him, not if I'm teaching him how to live in fear and without joy? And so that's no, something I have kid. to. I have to teach myself that because it's scary to me and it's teaching me how to parent in a different way. And it's still scary. You know, the other one is just, you know, really witty, very uh, extremely cautious of everything and everybody around him. And it's almost like, you know, you want to give a dose of this one to this one, a dose of this, this one, one to this one. <laughs> that one. But I but I realized I was like, I want them to have whole hearts and be open and be fully who they are. And if this world cannot accept it, I know I know who I am as their mother. I know who their maker is, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to have them living in fear and anger. Because what's the point? We, everybody says you want your child to grow up, to be happy and to be content and to be free. And why am I putting the chains on him early? Early, we don't have to. We can talk about what the chains are. We can look at them. We can understand how to watch for them. And the the reality is, I was talking to one of my girlfriends the other day, um, who's a white woman, and she said, Kashana, some of the things that you talked to me about, about children and about just the way I need to talk to my daughter and the way I need to, like, it wouldn't even have occurred to me. She was like, I was, I was in my last job and I realized, I, I am perpetuating the same shit. Wait a minute. She said, I had to quit. She was like, because changing d- didn't allow me to even get in my work done. And then I said to her, well, I guarantee you showing up in your house. You probably should look. Because mm-hmm. one of the things about mm-hmm. leadership to me is that when I talk, and I talk about living well and leading well, when I talk about the live part, I, I talk about the well. And if you think about what a well is, it is deep. 
and it is dark and it is life-giving and also if you fall in it is taking it away so when you oh, think I about a that. well wow. and you're, you're living well you're giving into that depth that you need so you can pull from and it's sometimes that others can pull from mm-hmm. right so you don't want it to be covered up and, t- and taped shut but also that that live part that's happening in your whole life in your home yes. life in your social yes. structure with your civic organizations with your friend groups yeah. And if you're not getting that right, you're neglecting it, you're not quite right, you're only doing it for, for show, guess you're where that's going to You're corrupting everybody. Everybody. Yes. Corrupting. I love that. Oh, man, I love that metaphor. Yes, you need to write that. You need to yes. put that somewhere and sell it. Yes. It's going to show, yes, show up that. at work. So by the time you are coaching folks, for yeah. example, and you t- t- talking to these executives, and you dig it in and say they haven't done the self work. I'd be curious, like, tell me about your. I always ask clients, tell me about your home life. I'm being nosy, because once I can get into what's happening at the house, yeah. I guarantee you, I can get into what's happening at your job. Oh, when you start asking people about this, you know, when they start talking about what used to happen with their mom at work, their dad used to say the thing that's happening at the church. I mean, you start seeing all of it, and I understand then why. Oh. That's what really the adversity to talking about race is. Oh, it's that's a it. lot of shame and grief that's right there that we, yes. need to, we need to unpack that and create some space for it because I get it. And like you said, whatever, when they are having these uh, conversations at work, when we are unpacking a lot of things, I've never seen people do this work in a way that is transformational without it impacting the conversations they're having at the dinner table yeah. with them yes, actually right. saying, you know what? I told, you know, my I told my kid he can't go back, go over to their house anymore for dinner because I don't like that they say that word and they do that. And we, we need to make a change. Hey, you know what? We had a change of church we went to because I started seeing and hearing what they were saying in a different way. And that's not who I want us to be. Like you can't, it is not compartmentalized. When you have transformational change, it's going to be happening in your household too. Some people make some different decisions in their marriages. This L- isn't going to work. I've seen all yes. of that. Yes. All the, the full gamut. Yep. When, when you're asking folks to step fully into authentic leadership, all the jargon, the books and the frameworks aside, it is literally untying your shoelaces moving your feet around and deciding is this the shoe? It's the yeah. shoe of the foot. Yeah. And then having this to lace back up and walk differently and that means that you yeah. might have to change clothes and go. And that and that's means scary. you might that's have super to. Scary, scary. Right? That's scary. So when people tell, you know, talk about, I'm like, yeah, it is. It's really scary. It's not small talk. If you're really doing it, it's going to impact a lot of things. So when folks say, oh, you need to get comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. You get, get ready to be uncomfortable. I'm like, no. It's actually painful. Painful. If this transformational, it can be painful. It's not about just being uncomfortable. What are you talking about? You talk about right. actually, you know, grandma over there using that word all the time. We're not going over there for Thanksgiving because she right. keeps on doing this and we it's not okay. Or I'm gonna have a conversation. Or you know what? I love her, I'm gonna still be over there, but my kids are gonna know exactly what what doesn't work for us. What doesn't work for us. And I'm looking at That's her painful. scanning a few. That's that it. is That's very painful. painful. Yeah, that is very painful. Yeah. I think acknowledging that is really, really important that when folks talk yeah. about the work, you know, I don't like to use words. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yes, it literally yeah. means like facing yourself. When you think about a baby and a baby, baby is teething and the teeth are coming up. Yeah, sometimes there's nothing you can do. You can't put ice on it. You can't. I mean, the numbing cream. And so we can't numb it away. Right. With yeah. more books with curriculum, with check off the list class, with we went to the seminar, with we got the one black friend or the one friend to come. Like you can't numb it away. And they know Sometimes all the words. People know all the words now. The words. Oh, this word, this is what that means. And Kendi Ibram said, and such and such said, and da, da, da. you like, oh, because oh, you got all the words now, you know. But why are you over here still yeah. doing this mess? Exactly. Right. Can, can we talk right. about the mess though? Did they talk yeah. about that? No? Okay. No. Yeah. It's yeah. so yeah. true. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I'm going to be curious about coming into this year is being able to see sort of the next wave of leaders. So, you know, there's been a lot of hiring that's happened over the last 18 months. And one of the things that's always been very curious to me is that I noticed this when I'm the in the 08 market crash that 
in times of, of market unrest, now we have global pandemic plus market unrest, et cetera, globally, black women, women of color, folk of color always getting hired. Less resources, higher stress, more on the line. So we saw a lot of that during the last 18 months. My curiosity now was like, what are the resources that are going to be brought to bear so that those folks can be successful? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I also wonder about the other dynamic, too, of many of us making decisions to have success on our own terms. Yeah. And the, there's that's where you're getting this resignation. That's when you're getting this um, influx of entrepreneurs. You're yes. getting, you know, this other idea of how we are tapping into our creativity and setting boundaries. So there's a lot of that aspect that I wonder about and that I hope that more of us lean into. Of course, it's definitely a privilege mm -hmm. to be able to do that at different points, but we can't rely on the workplace to do something that the workplace itself may believe is counter to its yeah. own existence because it, mm -hmm. it, it knows way, one way of existing in one system. And there's churn and cost when you start disrupting it, even if long term is for the better. Yes. And yeah. And still the, it's looking at the immediate gratification. Right. Absolutely. So absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's just big questions coming into this new year. So what is the big thing that you are working on? Because I know folks want to know where they can find you, what you're doing, but are you doing the most? You writing a book or two or three or four or five? Something that you said, it just gave me this nod, this nod, this nod, because um, when you, especially when you started talking about joy and you started talking about, you know, freedom, what it means to be free, all this other success on our mm -hmm. own terms is like my thing for this year and la and next year too. Have you ever heard of uh, cozy comfort novels or books? Yes. yes okay. Yes, yes. So it's kind of like for people who don't know what that is, it's kind of like murder. She wrote, you know, Angelina's yes. is always a little, Listen. Uh, a, a murder every week happening, right? A murder every and week. <laughs> and the, there's a woman lead who usually is, you know, what is she? She's like a, um, a marketer, a bookstore owner, a cafe or a bakery owner or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's one of yep. those things that's happening. So this book is, and, I, and those books are the ones that got me through COVID. Real easy, light read. Oh, whatever. You always, there's never anything gory happening. But I was like, why ain't no black folks in the book? Oh, wait a minute. Where are the people of color? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to fix this. So I um, am launching a series that will be um, come out next spring, but the series of this cozy comfort is called Meet Tamika Robinson. And so Tamika okay. Robinson, <laughs> you already know, don't you? You already know I'm in the front. I was like, <laughs> put me on the book launch crew. You already know I'm excited because that the, the, all those books were my books growing up. They're my comfort books. They're the books that I crave when I'm feeling sad or I'm going to go pick that book. I can get lost in it. So I love but it. We need, mm. to, we need to see us in this idea yeah. of creating success on our own terms. So what killed me was when you was just now, when you were just now talking about your parents saying, well, you got to get a job because that's exactly what her parents tell her when she leaves being a big firm attorney, making that money and decides to open her own shops. You're going to leave that Woo. good job. You're going to leave those leave benefits. What's going on? Yes. So being able to see us defining success on our own terms and also recognizing that we're not a monolith. And yes. knowing what our experiences are and especially, you know, I'm from the South. So, of course, it's going to be in the South. But this idea of elevating what our experiences are so that other people can see who we really are and embrace it. And also yes. we can see what's possible for ourselves because we have to have these spaces of creativity and imagination to see ourselves being success successful in all these other different ways. So I want to um, I will definitely make sure that you're in the loop. We're having this crazy interactive book launch that's going to be done a whole different way in Atlanta, Detroit and Seattle. And I, I am it. just super excited about it. I cannot wait. Oh, my gosh. Listen, y'all. The two of us could talk all day. We've been on the phone sometimes just talking. And so I just hope that y'all look gems dropping. Okay. Gems <laughs> dropping. I, I hope that, that y'all. <laughs> that's an Amanda Seals one. I love that. I love her. So I'm like, always oh, like gems dropping. But that's a gem. Okay. That, okay. So you know, before we get off, that. you know what I'm about to say before we yes. get off, right? Tell me. Tell I want to know when, when your book on the, the dating vignettes and chronicles is coming out. That's what I want to oh know. Oh my God. Everybody's like, when are you writing a book? Okay. Yes. So. I've decided that I, first of all, I have to, I, I owe a proposal to a publisher now for a leadership book. So let me get that done. Woo, we're going to talk about that one. I was like, holla at that. 
Um, but I feel like that is a 2023 situation because what? there's just because ah! how much faster can I write? So what the next thing I'm gonna be writing about though is my dating detox. So ah. I'm gonna be taking a detox for about five months and I'm gonna write about it because hilariously, you know, as soon as I said it even out loud to myself in my bedroom, what happened? The men started falling from the sky like manna. Okay. Why? Why y'all here? I said I'm taking a, it's not even a break. I'm like, I'm taking a wash, a redo. And so what does that and look then, like? To and then the guy's that? like, are you for real? Did you really mean it? Did you really mean it? You, you want to you pause and, and, and be friends for a few months? Like, that's what you mean? Like, no, friend. Um, so I'm excited to, to, I think I'll have like a lot of richness on the other side of that. And so I'll, I definitely have lots of stories, but I'm writing about it now in full. So I've been dictating to myself and so forth. So maybe faster. Hi, Simon and Schuster. I worked for you when I was in high school. It'd be so great if I could be an author now. Oh, that's well, so I am excited to hear it. And I mean, I want you to consider, I want you to consider the self-publishing route too, because I think there's this, yes, we should talk about your that. own creativity because your yes, stories ma'am. are the bomb. And I'm just, I'm really grateful that you're creating this opportunity too to just get all these voices and ideas out there. Yeah. I love it. I love it so much. So um, where can we follow you? What is the best place? Where, where do you hang out the most? I know you on LinkedIn. I know you on all the things, but where do you want us that's to follow right. you? Uh, LinkedIn for sure under just my name or on Instagram at rare underscore coach. I love it. Okay, my friends, I hope y'all enjoyed this rich conversation the way I did. Iko, thank you so much for thank hanging you for out me, with girl. me today. And I know that we, listen, we're going to have you back on again because I, as soon as I look at the transcripts, I know I'm going to be like, wait a minute, but about this point, wait a minute, but about this point. <laughs> so yeah. I'm so yeah. glad to have you and we will be talking real soon, friends. Stay tuned for another fantastic episode. This one was one for the books. All right, y'all. Thank you, Kish. Thank you. Like what you heard and need a little bit more of this in your life? Well, I want you to head on over to Kish Camp, my virtual camp for stressed out managers who are looking to manage people better and lead with confidence. You can head over to Kish Camp at www.kishcamp.co.